Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 287 of the Peristyle Podcast today. Is September 23rd, 2013. Got a big show for you this week on the podcast. Lots of questions and comments coming in from you guys following USC 17-14 win over Utah State out of the Mountain West. If you have any questions or comments for our show next week, always like to hear from you. Email podcast at uscfootball.com or you can call 206-888-6755. Leave a voicemail there or write on peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail there as well. we got a lot of voicemail questions this week, which is good. We can hear your voice, hear what you have to say, and comment on that. And without further ado, we got Coach Harvey High joining the show. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Good morning, Ryan. Uh, it's great. It's Monday. We look forward now to Pac-12. Arizona State now on the schedule. Can't run and hide anymore. It's time to get in and play big-time football because I believe the Pac-12 conference, the way they've been playing out of conference, their preseason games, and uh, I'm real proud of the Pac-12 right now. I'd like to match them up against the Southeastern Conference on a neutral field. I'd like to see Oregon and Stanford, a couple of the best in the Pac-12, take on the best of the Southeastern Conference. I'll tell you, the Pac-12 has really now made itself a football conference. Not that it isn't in other sports. But I think right now it's as competitive as any conference in America. And I know all the people that are Southeastern Conference people listening down in Alabama. I'm not putting down your programs. All I'm saying, I think the Pac-12 has raised the level of their programs to try to match you. It's a compliment to the Southeastern Conference. All right. Always compliment the SEC, Coach. Well, before we jump into all this, and we've got a lot to get to, Southern California Tickets been our sponsor for a long time, sctickets.com. You can call 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. We're getting to be playoff baseball time. You want to go see the Dodgers. Of course, USC home games coming up a little bit later. That Arizona game on a Thursday night should be kind of crazy. Go to sctickets.com, and they'll help you out. And Coach, I want to start off with this question. We have a bunch of voicemail questions. I want to start off with this one. There's not a lot of happy USC fans out there, right? Now. I'm not sure if you've heard that. I know you did your Trojan Brunch show yesterday, but I wanted to start off with this one, and don't worry. It'll get better from here. Yes, this is a longtime Trojan fan, Chris in Columbus, Ohio, home of the Ohio State Suckeyes. I just wanted to rant real quick. I just wanted to say that I'm tired of the boring, plotting, methodical, slow offense that is the USC Trojans. You know, I wanted to turn the game off. It was so pathetic. I'm tired of the excuse making from Kiffin. I'm tired of excuse making from Cody Kessler. These guys have been here for three years, Cody and Max Wittick. And they're freshman quarterbacks all over the country playing phenomenally. And yet we can't get the quarterback play that we need to win games. I well, think that uh the Arizona State game will be the beginning of the demise of Lane Kiffin, and then hopefully we can get this over with and we can actually get a coach in there that's going to bring USC back 
to the uh, standing that we're normally used to. Well, I think that uh, uh, this needs to happen. I'm not. I don't know when to start talking. My man's <laughs> spinning, you know. He was <laughs> Sorry, coach. I, I I just had to start off with that one because it was uh, so much passion there. Well, there is passion for not only this uh, gentleman that's calling, but for a lot of the Trojan fans and boosters and alumni and so on, you know. And uh, I'm not saying uh, uh, that it's Cody Kessler's fault. Uh, and one thing I, I'll, I'll clarify right now, I got on yesterday morning, if people were listening, on the Trojan Brunch Show, a reporter, or should I say an, a, a TV guy, that asking players questions after the game that really is, is not even related to players, asking players what's wrong with the offense. Now, that's something you don't ask the player. That's something you ask the coach. The players play the play called. They do their very best to, to make that play happen. So, you know, I, I hate to see players being blamed for the performance. Players get recruited to a university because the coaches evaluate them that they can play on this level. Obviously, the level of what the players were recruited on the defensive side of the football were correct. They were put them into a, they put them into a, a scheme and a, a defense that they excel at. They're probably uh, one of the best defenses in the country. Obviously, I, w- I was going to get into that later and talk some positive things about the USC football program. On offense, it, it's been really discouraging. Why? Because you start to see a little life and you start to see something happen. Like in the Colorado game, you start to see a series and you want to build on that series. You want to build confidence in the offensive line. You want to build confidence in the quarterback. You want to put him in a position where everyone can be successful. Now, the offensive line hasn't been the most overwhelming offensive line, so you try to help them. You try to run plays that put them in a position where they don't just have to pass block. They can uh, put a question or a question mark on what play it really is, and that helps the defense. You can put in plays on the offense that helps cut down the pursuit and holds the defensive player in their spot. You don't want them to know where you are all the time. You can't let them just pin their ears back and come after you. So the offense has not done well this week. Uh, in fact, the defense, as well as it played, and we'll get into that a little bit later on. Utah State's offense outgained USC's offense, which when you consider how we're praising the defense of USC, yet Utah State's offense made more yards than USC's offense. So that more or less says how displeased or what performance the offense is playing at. And, you know, everyone is getting tired, I think, of, of the same answers every week rather than being specific on what is going on. And I think that people deserve to know that. When asked what's wrong with the offense, I think there should be definite points that people say this is what we're doing wrong, this is what we have to do, this is how we can get better, not just say we got to go back and go to work. I think that also when uh, different defenses are thrown at the offense that you're prepared for these type of defenses. Obviously, you made the run go. The run has been the most polished thing on the offense so far this season. With Trey Madden having tremendous games, so what do you take away first? You try to take the run away. What do you do next? You try to take your two fancy receivers away, all-stars away. 
So you run a cover two until you force them out of the cover two. You go to an eight-man front, why you got to stop the run? But it's not the first time the eight-man front has ever been shown to college football. <laughs> I mean, it's something you see all the time with a three-deep zone, a three-deep behind it, man and a safety. So you have to be prepared that people will go to something or they even start to game with that to see what your adjustments might be. And playing offense is like playing chess or anything else. As I say every week, they do this, I do that. I know you're getting tired of me saying this, but there's ways to defeat an eight-man front. Force them right out of it because there's weaknesses in an eight-man front. So you have to take advantage of that. Yes, you have to throw the ball more. But, yes, it is harder to pass block when they're coming after you. But you go to maximum protection. You keep your backs in. You go to a two-back set. You put maximum protection. You, you block to the inside, and the backs have the outside guys coming. You seal it up so the quarterback can drop back in a three-step drop or whatever or run a tight end delay uh, or whatever. You put the tight end down the middle of the field, curl the tight ends, curl the receivers, run the fade and come back to the football and throw to a spot. Don't split out so wide when you run your fade so the sideline isn't a defensive player. There's a lot of different things you can do to take advantage of your skilled great athletes. And I think this is why a lot of people get flustered because a lot of the answers that are asked to the coaching staff as far as when you see a different defense, what did you do or how are we going to get better? Because it's the same players that are playing offense that are playing defense as far as recruited players. You just have to put them in a position where those players can be successful, as Clancy Pettigrass has done, Cass has done, with the defense. All of a sudden, the defense is having fun. They're having their pride. They love the coach. That's all they talk about is Clancy this and Clancy that. And on the sideline, they're jumping up and down on him, and he's hugging players. And, hey, there's what you call a partnership there. It's a family. So you've got to have a family. What I feel bad about, really, and, I, and I'll tell you this is, I feel sorry for the players on the offensive side of the football. Those guys got to live with the defensive players and the special teams. They got to go to class. They got to be faced with this every day when they go, what's wrong with the offense? What's wrong with the offense? They feel just like I do when I walk around and people ask me that. You almost feel like you want to hide. You don't really, you don't want to talk about it anymore. These kids got to go to class. They belong to clubs. They have fun. You know, you don't want them to have bad experience. So I feel bad for the players in this type of situation. Like I mentioned earlier, when reporters and television people and whoever it is start asking the kids what's wrong with the offense. Hey, they play the play called, and they try to execute that play to the best of their ability. So uh, I think that's the best way of saying it. I don't want to try to get into all the particulars. I like to keep this general, try to keep it as positive as I can, as we roll into Pac-12. But I've talked to a couple of the parents. I've talked to players. They listen to this podcast. So it's not like, it's not like this podcast is only for uh, uscfootball.com people, subscribers. It's for everyone to listen to. And they actually do listen to this. So I'm going to be very, very careful on how I describe what's going on because the last thing I want to do is hurt somebody's feelings or upset somebody over something 
that they shouldn't be upset over. So I'm going to answer the questions. I'm going to be the same Harvey Hyde, but I'm going to try to do it where I don't get too uh, negative. Uh, Coach, we've got a lot of – that's an interesting point. I mean, we, we've getting it, we're getting it from both sides, and we do have a, a whole bunch of questions, so we'll let you be positive and we can we can go through them a little quicker. But, uh, I mean, Tony75 wrote in, is like, why isn't the press going after Kiffin and Hayden a little harder? In fact, a lot harder. And we get so many questions about why aren't you doing this. And we get other side, too, where people are like, why are you so down? Why are you so negative? I hate the negative stuff. And – you know, it's tough. We are getting a lot. Most every question, if not every one, is, is negative or it, there's there's pointing out problems. I mean, there are fans that are upset and it, it's understandable, um, but it, it's a hard it puts us in a weird situation because, yeah, I mean, it, the, the fans aren't happy right now. And, and you can't just say, oh, the offense looks really good because <laughs> it doesn't. So uh, it's, it's it puts us in a tough spot. It does. And, and yet we want to do a show that our listeners know we're honest to them about. And I'm going to continue doing that. So keep your questions coming. Shoot the questions at me, Ryan. I'm not going to change. I'm the same guy. But I just wanted to let the players know that listen or the people that listen out there, if you're a parent, that it's not directed personally to anyone. Okay, let's go. All right, here we go. Here's the next one. Uh, Talking about some non-utilized athletes, this is this one. Hi, this is Richard from Toluca Lake. This is a question for Coach Harvey Hyde. I understand with – Nelson Aguilar and Marquise Lee being double-teamed, that that's a problem. But you have two of the better tight ends in the country in Grimble and Telfer. And yesterday, when they threw right down the middle of Grimble, boom, touchdown, they went away from that. I do not understand why they don't go to the tight ends more. Maybe the coach can tell me why or what Lane Kiffin's game plan is because I have no idea. Thanks very much. Bye. Well, thank you very much for checking in. Well, I really don't have any idea either. Because uh, it's there. It's there all the time. You can put him in a flex. You can hit him. You know, here's a 6'6 receiver on a 6'0", even a 6'0", 5'11", whatever defensive back. There's so much open space in the middle of the field when they're double covering your outside receivers, which is fine. Let them double cover them. They're putting two on. They're putting four on two. Then that gives you a lot of field to work on. What you want to do, the biggest threat in a passing game is when you have a great tight end. If you look around the NFL or you look around everywhere, who's going in the first and second rounds? Tight ends. Great tight ends that are 6'6", that can run and, and go down the seams and, and split a defense up where they can't double cover the outside receivers. Tight ends, crossing routes, especially when they're playing man where they almost pick the defensive backs. and It's beautiful. Not intentionally illegal plays, but if you cross across two guys crossing each other when they're playing man defense, one guy's going to be behind the other guy. So you've got to utilize your tight end in curls and comeback routes. Third and nine, third and eight, send your tight end down, stop at 12, come back to nine or come back to 10, catch a football, easy first down. Expect to hit. Eventually you do a stop and go with your receivers that are out there. How about your, your fades and come back, your fades and curls, You've got to utilize the football field with different routes. I don't think. I may have seen one curl route the whole year. I don't know if I have. Or or a comeback route. Or any type of route that when a defensive back locks on a split receiver, he doesn't just know. Well, they don't do anything else but throw a fade route. They just throw a fade route. I mean, down on the end zone. When it's first down in, the, in, in goal line situation, and I think the three-yard line, 
instead of on, you got four downs to get in the end zone, you throw a fade route. I mean, there's not much field there for a fade route. So, but you throw it, you get a pass interference, you go to the one and a half yard, and you throw the ball a second down. I mean, I don't understand the thinking behind that when you're trying to develop confidence in your running game. But that's not for me to decide. That's for the guy that calls the play to explain it. And and uh, me, uh, I'm a power type of guy. I'm the type of guy that says you win championship with the running game. Your running game sets up everything else because it makes you a tougher offensive football team. So why they don't throw the tight end more, I don't know. I don't go to the uh, press conferences. It's probably a good reason I don't. <laughs> Because I asked, we had uh, Coach Tommy Robinson on our morning show yesterday, and I and I didn't put him on the spot. I just asked him. I said, Coach, Coach to Coach, you've got three great running backs. Why don't you play two of them at the same time? Why don't you utilize your fullback with Allen or whoever, or run two backs where you can utilize and run counters and do some things with your backs and circle one back or block salad solid. We've got all your athletes on the field. Not that Pinder's not a great athlete or, or Vanuku, but they're limited on what they can do on certain things. They more or less give you a tendency because when they're in the game, they take you to the play. But if you have great athletes on the field, it's just one more problem you cause the defense. And I think what you try to do is cause the defense problems in trying to cover Aguilar, trying to cover Lee, trying to cover... Madden tried to stop the running game, trying to stop the back and the flat of the circle route. So they ran that one circle route, and and uh, Cody hit, I think it was uh, Madden, right there, down there. But, you know, again, Cody's got to be careful. He forced that ball into Madden down there near the goal line. Uh, he was covered, like, t- with two or three guys. If they have that many guys around Madden, somebody else is open. So you can't predetermine who the ball is going to. And right now, when I look at the passing game, I look at it as a lot of the routes being called are predetermined on who you're supposed to throw the ball to. Coach, that's a great segue. Earl wrote that in. He said, Cody Kessler does not appear to go through progressions. Instead, he seems to lock onto a receiver the moment he looks down the field. Are you seeing the same thing? It sounds, sounds like you are. I am, saying, I am seeing the same thing. I certainly am. And it, But that's more of a coaching. You think that's more of a coaching decision where it's, this is determined. This is what the play is going to be. Not here are the progressions of the play. Exactly, but he doesn't have the options. He doesn't have the options with the other people in there, as far as the tight end and backs and so on and backside post when they when they run a fade. If the fade's not there, look at the backside post or tight ends coming across behind it or in front of the of the fade. So he has a chance at it. You've got guys going back playing mad, but you don't have a second progression or a third progression. So I think really it's not the Cody's fault is him not having that other option or not being taught what it is. Makes sense. All right, uh, let's go back to the voicemails. Uh, here you go. JD from DC calling. Question for Coach Hyde. Coach Hyde wanted to know which coach decides whether a player is replaced on a given play. I'm particularly interested in determining who did not pull out Trey Madden last week when he ran the Wildcat and fumbled after he had his bell rung quite hard uh, with a big hit to play before. Whose responsibility was that to pull him out and replace him with another back? Would that be the offensive coordinator, the running backs coach, or the head coach? Thank you. Well, 
<clears throat> I think in that type of situation, it's the running back coach. The running back coach's responsibility for his position and his players on certain plays or injuries and, and that a head coach is impossible for him to run a game, game management a game, and, and be really concerned about individual players. Now, he can be if he sees it. He certainly is not going to overlook an injury of a player if he thinks a player is, is hurt. Safety comes first. But the running back coach is one that does know what every play that is called, watches his backs on every single play so he can critique them when they come off the field. And if a bell is rung and a player is not ready to play or injured, then, of course, that coach would be responsible for taking him off the field. My feeling is, is why go to the Wildcat when you're running up and down the field and beating their butts? Why do you need to try to trick somebody? Why not stay in what you're doing well and keep doing it? I mean, USC or any type of offense, when you're having success, don't try to trick somebody. Beat somebody. Makes <laughs> makes sense, Coach. I think you're going to fire everyone up. I like it. All right. Uh, here's, we'll go for another voicemail. But we got so many of them this week, so I apologize for that. But we do like to hear from you guys, so I want to try to play all of them if I can. Hey, guys. It's Franco from Pennsylvania. So looking at the uh, Utah State roster, the past four recruiting classes, they had 97 commitments. Out of those, there was zero five-stars, zero four-stars, just seven three-stars, a sprinkling of one and two-stars, a lot of unranked guys. So USC has four and five-stars up and down the lineup. Can we attribute the fact that they only beat Utah State by three points at home to anything other than a coaching differential? I mean, it seems like a team with superior talent should crush the one with inferior talent, unless there's something wrong with the coaching. Thanks, guys. Well, you know, you hit on a good point there. Obviously, there wasn't a player on the Utah State roster that I wouldn't uh, bet my life on it, but that USC offered a scholarship to. A lot of Southern California guys, 59 players on the roster from Utah. Uh, They've done a great job in building their program up to where it is now, and uh, they're now very proud of what they have. That team will probably go... 10 and 3 at the worst or 11 and 2. If they beat Fresno State, they'll be 11 and 2. So the team will be successful. It's learn how to win. And you don't have to always be a three star or five star player. The number one player selected in the NFL draft this past year from Central Michigan, Fisher, was a three star player in high school. But he developed, he forecast, uh, he forecast to be a great player. And sometimes five-star players have matured earlier than other players in high school, and they're older, and they're playing above, they're playing at their their level that maybe they won't get that much better. But I'm just looking at uh, another option. I'm not saying that's the reason. Excuse me, for the, I'd rather recruit a five-star that's been evaluated and have him than that than to think I have to project and and develop players. But was I want to develop five stars to be eight stars someday? <laughs> so. So, yes, they do have an edge in recruiting. And uh, and obviously on the defensive side of the football, is there any question on the defensive side of the football that their four stars, three stars, five stars are playing great football in a scheme that's successful, that they like to do with the players in a position that are able to win, are able to accomplish what they're supposed to do? They took Chucky Keaton completely out of the game. He looked like an ordinary player. That Chucky Keaton right now, is saying, I hope I never, ever see that defense again. Because here's a very skilled athlete that's been skilled for the last two years with all this great success, and he's completely 
thrown out of rhythm. He can't complete a pass. He has such a great quick release. He hit two passes that were unbelievable. There was good coverage on that straight, uh, the streak and also the slant on Torrin Harris over the middle for the touchdown. Hell, you can't cover any better. I thought he did a good job covering there, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. You can't do a better job in covering than that. So, you know, he performed, but he was out of his rhythm. I saw George Uko run him down once. Now, when did you ever think a defensive end or defensive tackle would run down Keaton? And he did it because of the quickness and the ability of the players on the defensive side of the ball and where you put them to be successful. Before we went into this season, I was really worried about the secondary play. I'm not worried about the secondary play right now. Now, obviously, they're not going to – they haven't faced receivers they're going to face at Arizona State and all these other places. I'm going to tell you that right now. But when I watched Utah State's players run, their quickness, and I said it on the pregame show, they looked like they were running in mud, okay? (laughs) They were slower, great kids, great hands, played hard, knew what they were doing, knew what they had to accomplish, but they didn't have the talent level. And you could see the difference between a five-star and a two-star right there. But they were put in a position where they had great desire, had a quarterback putting the ball right there where they could achieve. So on the offensive side of the ball, they've got these same four-star, five-star players. But you've got to put them in a position where it's simple, where you don't get a delay of game penalties or have to call a timeout out of a change after a change of position. It seems to me when you when you get too complicated and you make it too fancy and you have too much offense, you don't have any offense. And I think basically that's what's happened. Yeah, makes sense there. Uh, let's see, a couple more. Patrick in Chicago. Can a run heavy offense that requires long sustained drives and eats up a lot of game clock? compete with the explosive up-tempo type of offenses that UCLA, Notre Dame, Oregon State run. He's a loyal podcast listener since 2009 and a USC alumni. Again, Patrick in Chicago. Can they compete? They can compete if they burn the clock down and let their defense rest. You can't compete if it's three and out, three and out, three and out, like they did against Utah State because Oregon and these other teams, if they had three and out, they'd have scored two out of three times they had the ball or one out of three times, the longer the game goes, they wear your defense down. So you've got to be able to maintain ball control, keep the other offensive team off the field, and score points. Because you're not going to shut them out the entire day, but they spread the field and they have equal athletes like you, they, like they do, like you do on their offense. So you've got to be able, when you play Stanford and you play these teams, Stanford is just a smash-mouth football team. So you're going to face a smash-mouth football team. But they produce on offense on top of the great defense that they play. So, yes, you can compete with them. Alabama competes with them. But you've got to keep the you've – you've got to maintain ball control. You can't make mistakes. You can't have turnovers. And you've got to play great defense, which USC is playing, and hope that you can rest your defense by maintaining long drives so that their offensive team is kept off the field. So against Oregon and teams like that, your best defense is offense because you do not want them to run the 90 plays, the 100 plays that they want to run during a game. And we've got one last voicemail question for you, Coach. Here you go. 
Yeah, hey, Ryan. Um, love the podcast. This is Eric in Georgia. Uh, this question is for you or Coach Harvey Hyde. Um, I'm just calling to find out, um, is it just me or does it – when Lane Kiffin is calling plays, does it look like he's guessing to you and not really having a game plan? Because I, I see the same plays over and over again, almost like he's wishing them to work instead of uh, – having some kind of a game plan for short, uh, third and short or third and long. It's almost like he's guessing to me. I wonder uh, what your thoughts were. Thank you. Love the podcast. Fight on. Thank you. You know, one thing I want to get in here, Ryan, before I forget, I'd like people to know that I'm doing Twitter now. Oh, yes. Huh? I forgot to mention that at the top of the show. Sorry about that. Well, I just want to mention that you can reach me or I can tweet to you at, at, at Coach Harvey Hyde. That's at Coach Harvey Hyde during the game. If you have been following me, I tweet out after every quarter what I think's going on. And I do things during the week, too, to keep people updated on what's going on. So please join me, follow me, and I'll try to give you additional clues on what I think's going on. But what was the question now? So he's talking about uh, is, is Lane Kevin kind of guessing. And I can oh, tell yeah. you, at least, well, at, you at know, least coach. It appears that way. It <laughs> appears that way. He and does. I'm not trying to be negative when I say that because myself, when I used to call plays, when a team would stop me, I'd look in my mind. I wouldn't swear out loud, but I'd say, no kidding. You think you're going to pull that shit on me, huh? Okay. <laughs> and and uh, and then I'd come back, try to counter what he's doing or mark it down, what down he did it, on what hash math, mark or whatever. And, and I, I was calling the game two plays in advance. I had in my mind, first of all, I wanted to know, where, where am I on the field? Am I in uh, – uh, red zone, am I where? Am I going to run four plays in this series? Have I got to make up yards? Do I want to stay in bounds? What do I want to accomplish this series of plays? Do I need to rest my defense? Blah, blah, blah. What are they giving me? And, and you've got to be looking at this as you go. You can't be trying to make it up as you go. You've got to have a feel like you're on the field and you're the quarterback or you're in the huddle and you know what's going on. And you say, okay, guys, they're doing this. We're going to come back with this. Let's go. Ready, break. And, and you have build that type of confidence in your team. When you seem to be searching or you don't have emotion on your field, in your mind and so on, people now are starting to watch Coach Giffen more than they're watching the game. And, and I get that feeling of, of, of that because they want to see how he's acting or what he's reacting to during the game. So, yeah, I get that feeling. And you get that feeling because there isn't a, a rhythm in the offense that you feel like you want to see. And you see that his, his, his emotional expression, now maybe he doesn't have to yell to be a great coach, but the emotion in you have to be, has to be displayed to a point of, of happiness or display, not happy, or let the players know what's going on. As an offensive quarterback, and, and, or not a quarterback, but coordinator, now – He's the coordinator. Nobody's told me that Clay Helton's calling plays. Well, then, myself, I want to gather and meet with my offense. I want to get on one knee in front of them. I want to look at them. If they're looking at the ground, I'm going to tell them, look at me in the eyes. I want them to believe in me. I want them to know that what we're doing, we're doing together. And, I, and I want, I, you've got to huddle them up. Not always after you score. You want to jump up and down on them and tackle them and let them tackle you. But when you're struggling... You want to get with them. You want to let them know, we're going to get this done. Stay in there. Hang in there. 
it's going to be done. But delay of game penalties, uh, some of these things uh, really don't make it look good for the offense. Certainly not, Coach. It's just I do know that on his play sheet there are – there, there's a down and distance kind of thing. So there's third and shorts. There's a, the host of p- plays for each different situation. I don't know if it's broken up to where you are on the field and stuff like that, but certainly for down and distance – they have third and long plays, third and short plays. I think they have red zone plays, things like that. Now, I'm not saying he's not – I mean, the, the the caller said guessing. I mean, I know that it's broken up on the chart. To me, if anything, it's more – it's too systematic. It's not the feel. It's more of the here's what we're supposed to do in this situation. And and I, it's, I don't think that tells the whole story. Like Coach was saying, you got to have a real feel for what's going on, not here's what we do in this kind of thing. And, and if it doesn't work, we try something else. You know what I mean? You're exactly right. You don't see a quarterback in the huddle with a card. Now, they have these wrist things that they look at that they just signal in a number, and he looks, and he on the hash marks, they've got it all down there. This is the play we're going to run. Then he knows what formation to call it from and so on. That's all good. Don't get me wrong, but you don't have to feel it. I, I used to know it. I mean, event, uh, during the different times, I'd look at it to review it and and check it out, and I check with the guys in the box. Are we on schedule? Is this what we're supposed to be doing? Or what are they doing? And you get a feel, and you roll with it. You walk up and down the sidelines with it. You show intensity in your body, and you're you're into it. So, But that's not the only way to win. Bill Belichick doesn't do that, but he doesn't call the plays. Uh, so you've got to, if you're going to be involved in the game itself and not game manage it and be a head coach where you have coordinators and you're back and forth, like right now, you know Coach Kiffin isn't telling Coach Pettigrass what to do at all. Nothing. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Now, I would feel more comfortable. This is me. If I had an offensive coordinator that I would look at and say, great job. Or I could look at and say, hey, you better get this shit going or else you're going to be cleaning your locker out. <laughs> because when you get great players, you expect great results and I never have tra- 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 uh, treated a coach like that so don't ever think that's true I'm just trying to express my that makes sense coach all right well long right, s- you game management what are you well you want to go or then I'll let you go oh no no that's okay I, sorry I started to cut out there if you were finishing a point I, the uh, the connection we no, got that's all right no problem I, I agree yeah that uh, sometimes the you know it isn't really an emotional call okay well coach Appreciate it. I know it's a long segment, so thanks for uh, hanging on a little bit longer and getting to all the questions. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you over the week and uh, next uh, next home game. I guess I'll see you at uh, Arizona on Thursday night. You're right. Uh, Thursday night at the Coliseum, Arizona. First Pac-12, not really first Pac-12 game. They've already played Washington State, and they got Arizona Washington. State coming this weekend. So it'll be, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it'll be it'll be a battle this weekend down in the desert. It really will be. But Arizona State will be all upset over their loss to Stanford. Plus, both teams can't lose again. Both teams have one loss in conference. So there's so much on the line between these two teams, not a, not because they don't like each other, but the players know each other. But for Pac-12 conference play, you get your second loss this early in the season, it's not good, Ryan. Yeah, I agree with the coach. We'll see what happens this weekend. And then, like I said, we'll see you following week in the next home game. But thanks again for coming on, Coach. It's always fun. And thank you, and thank all of our listeners out there for uh, uh, checking in and uh, listening to our podcast and sending questions in. That was, that's what makes the show. And, again, at Coach RV Hyde 
Follow me at Coach RBI. Have a winning day, everyone. All right. Thanks, Coach. And everyone else back in 30 seconds talking with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Fight on, Trojan fans. We're all very excited about this season. My name is Louis Tangay, and I'm the managing director of Circle Marketing. Like USC, Circle Marketing has a long track record of success. Ours hasn't been on the football field, though. We have been very successful in helping the small businesses of America get the kind of marketing strategy and support previously only affordable by large companies. For example, by going to circlemarketing.com, you can view our portfolio, read our case studies, and see how we were able to increase business by 90%, grow social media followings by 10 times what it was when we started, and how our websites and marketing strategies have helped our small businesses reach and exceed all of their marketing goals time and time again. So come visit circlemarketing.com today, read our case studies and testimonials, and see what we've done for other small businesses like yours. Then contact us and find out what we can do to help your small business too. Circle Marketing, the company that fights on for your small business. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast talking USC Trojan football, discussing the USC 17-14 victory over Utah State with our one and only Dan Weber. What's going on, Dan? How you doing? Oh, uh, better than if uh, you know, better than after the ten-seven game. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> one touchdown better. What? One pick-six better uh, than after two weeks ago. You're right. Well, we got a lot of questions. I want to jump in here and and again, you know, I, I talked about this at the top of the show. I apologize. We. These are the questions that are coming in. We're going to try to be, you know, we're trying to be as well-rounded as possible, but there's obviously a lot of negative feelings out there from the fans. Um, you could see it just from the crowd that was out there. But here's uh, here's our first one, Dan. I'll start off with an offensive question. Hello, Ryan. This is Rob in Santa Clara. Wanted to ask you or Coach or Dan, to your trained eyes, do you see USC making any adjustments for the second half of football games? Also, why can't SC score any points in the third quarter, let alone the fourth quarter? And finally, have you seen the statistics? Our offense is 108th in the nation and 12th in the Pac-12. That gives me a bad feeling going into Arizona State. How do you feel? Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of them that are like that too. I'm not going to read got, everyone. You know, you're but... not, you know, you're not going in the wrong direction there. Um, um, uh, yeah, I mean, how does this team end up after those four games? How does this team <clears throat> with this talent end up uh, last in the Pac-12 and 108th in the nation? Uh, it's pretty much inexplicable. Uh, they look like, you know, self-inflicted wounds. This doesn't look like, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you hear, man, that Washington State really fooled us by uh, dropping eight back. Or, uh, man, those guys from, uh, you know, Utah State, they're relentless. Now, of course, they weren't relentless in their opener when they gave up 30 points and 450 yards to Utah, who's got a brand-new quarterback and guys I've never heard of. But uh, all of a sudden, they they were, you know, they were the 85 Bears. Um, so, you know, I mean, yeah, they, uh, the offensive um, uh, execution and game planning is, is just stunningly uh, uh, awful. You know, I mean, if, if, you, if you come out and say, <clears throat> you know, we couldn't throw it because they dropped eight back, as the Washington State game uh, turned out, or – we couldn't throw it because they had eight guys come up in the box and they played us man to man 
on the outside on Marquise and, uh, and Nelson and just couldn't make any plays. Well, the consistent thing there is not whether a team drops eight or brings eight up. It's what USC does about it. And they're not doing any. They're just not executing. They don't look like they're ready to execute. And they don't look like they're, you know, I mean, they've got a, you know, a defense that's playing full speed and looks like they love what they're doing and know how to do it and adjust on the fly. And you got an offense that, you know, doesn't look like it's playing full speed and really has trouble with adjustments. I mean, the the 0 for 8 uh, in third down conversions uh, the second half Saturday was one of the worst displays, you know, of offense you've ever seen and, and the inability to uh, move the ball, get anything out of uh, all that great field position that they were given. Uh, you know, and, and that second half, uh, you know, coming out of, uh, you know, halftime, I mean, it, it, it was a question we asked Lane because uh, so often, you know, after a scrimmage or whatever, he'd say, I can't really tell you what happened, um, you know, what I think about the quarterbacks or what I think about the offense because, uh, you know, I've got to go see the film. And you think, you know, and I actually asked him what happens, uh, you know, at halftime. You don't have time to see the film at halftime. Uh, and you've just gone through a first half that, um, um, you know, you you basically aren't able to see because you're, you know, you're doing your play sheet and trying to study that. Uh, how do you adjust? And he really doesn't have an answer. And uh, it shows. I think, for example, I think, you know, Cody Kessler talked about how clearly Utah State came out of halftime and they adjusted, and they, you know, changed what they were doing defensively, and that's when they brought eight up and said, we're not going to let USC run the ball. And then USC had to adjust and couldn't. So Washington or Utah State makes the adjustments on defense. USC does not make the adjustments on offense. And, uh, you know, that's the consistent, uh, consistent theme when you, you can't score, you know, in the third quarter. They're, they're just – you know, you know the other team is going to make some adjustments because USC actually doesn't play that badly the first half. You know, I think Blaine was more happy with a you know fourteen to seven lead than than most people were, <laughs> but um, but it was a lead, and they looked. You know, the word he's using now is efficient on offense, uh, but uh, that was not the word for the second half. So uh, yeah, all those are good questions. All those are big concerns. Uh, I mean, I guess my one feeling about uh, Arizona State, you know, is that it just looked to me like they were overhyped. I mean, when they come into Pac-12 Media Day and they're talking about, we're not even, you know, we're not just thinking this Pac-12 South or the Pac-12 title. We're talking about a national title. And, you know, I thought it was designed to do what it just did last week and got Todd Graham a new contract before they, you know, get smoked at uh, – in the first three quarters, anyway, at uh, Stanford, but uh, but they were the one team that didn't look like it even remotely belonged on the field during USC's tailspin at the end of the year, where they lose five out of six. What I mean, Arizona State didn't look like they, you know, you know, remotely had the same kind of talent level as USC. Uh, so. So I don't know. I'm not, you know, and I don't know how they're going to react. They've had two straight tough games. Two straight physical games, you know, is this their last hurrah, their last chance to, you know, have any kind of a season? Uh, and so they, you know, put it all on the line or, 
you know, are those all those new junior college kids that they, you know, brought in this year, like 19 of them or whatever, are they all starting to go their own separate way? Uh, we'll see. I, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for USC to play well, be organized, and know what they're doing on offense and, and, and just get the job done in a very workmanlike manner, knowing that your defense is going to be there for you. But, uh, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, well, sticking with the offense, we had uh, another voicemail question about the guys up front. We, did, we definitely had a lot of questions about this. I wanted to play this voicemail, though, for you. Here you go. Hey, Ryan. It's Andrew in New York. Um, two questions relating to the offensive line. First, do you think that Max Turek is being underutilized by reason of his ability to play multiple positions along the line? What I mean by that is he seemed to be a promising left tackle, which, of course, is the marquee position along the offensive line, but then there was a need at left guard, and so he slotted and in, in, moved right over. Um, not to say that Chad Wheeler has not been uh, good and improving, but Max Turek seems to be the one with star potential to me. Second question, um, looking forward to next year and beyond, uh, I really would like to see the lineup with Max Turek at left tackle and the three interior positions, uh, guards and center, be occupied by Andre Walker, um, uh, Khalil Rogers, and um, and Jordan Simmons with the right tackle of Zach Banner if he uh, continues to progress. I think that could be a really elite offensive line and wanted to get your thoughts. Thanks a lot. I think one of the problems <clears throat> is um, it does seem to be uh, – some of the similar situations, some of the issues that you had with the defense that they, after three years, decided, you know, we're asking them to do the kinds of things we can ask 30-year-old guys that are 10-year NFL veterans to do uh, when we have them 40 hours a week and nothing but football. But it's really probably not something we can ask them to do uh, in college when they're, you know, you're dealing with a you know, 19, 20-year-old kid. And so they scrapped that. And they went to a much more uh, aggressive, fast-moving, simpler, com- less complex in terms of the calls and an installation, but more difficult probably for teams to play against uh, on defense. The four games that USC's played has, has really shown that. One wonders if now into the fourth year of a pro-style offense, is that you know is that the way to go in college football? And I know Lane said, well, we don't have enough players to go any other way, but uh, you know Alabama has uh, you know Alabama and Stanford look like they've got the players and the system and the discipline, coaching and the toughness mentally and all that other stuff to do you know to do that. Because USC it doesn't look like it doesn't look like they can coach it. It it, it, it I think really makes it harder to bring the young guys on. Uh, you know, you really do have to make a lot of calls. You really have to, you know, make a lot of adjustments. Uh, when you make a mistake, as, as Lane said about Chad, if you're at left tackle or you're the new guy and you make a mistake, you get the quarterback uh, lit up and everybody knows it. <clears throat> but the mistakes are so consistently across, and I know Lane said, again, it wasn't everybody, but there are a lot of mistakes being made and a lot of guys giving up on blocks. For example, it's like, 
you know, Cody got hit, you know, three or four times by guys on Utah State who just kept, you know, coming and coming. And even though the ball was loose, you know, they were right there. Ball was already, you know, released. But the USC blocker just gave up. You know, just said, oh, I blocked him long enough. Yeah, I haven't heard the whistle, but, you know, I don't need to keep blocking him. And, and uh, <clears throat> that's unacceptable. Uh, it, it just looks like they 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 should be more physical than they are. Uh, why they're not, why they don't attack people, um, and why they have the breakdowns they do, I don't, uh, you know, one of the things you think about is, are they thinking too much? Are they, you know, has this become, you know, a mental kind of a thing where, you know, they think it's um, it's all about, uh, you know, the mental part of the game. Well, you can do that, if again, if you're an NFL guy who's making a lot of money and knows exactly how to turn it on and turn it off. I'm not sure college guys seem to have that same ability, and uh, this team certainly doesn't. Uh, I mean, they averaged, you know, everybody was happy for a while saying, boy, we're running the ball again. Yeah, see, running the ball. And we got, you know, running backs. And now they're, you know, after four games against not the greatest defensive teams in the country, they're still only 66th in the nation. They're in the bottom half running the ball. And they averaged 3.9 yards a, you know, carry Saturday. That's not acceptable. You know, they're just, uh, you know, now you've got, you know, basically a, a new guy in charge. And Mike Summers, he's got, you know, as good a reputation as anybody in the country as an offensive line guy. And yet um, doesn't look a lot different from last year. And, uh, you know, I mean, they moved guys around. A lot of them moving around. Now, it's not that they're not experienced guys, you know, except for Wheeler. You know, these guys have all played, all started. But they certainly look like, um, you know, it's not been a smooth transition. And then there's the disappearance of John Martinez, a two-year starter, for really inexplicable, um, you know, reasons uh, with uh, Walker moving in at right guard. So uh, uh, a lot of questions about the offensive line, uh, which – I wish USC had more answers. Uh, you know, I think I probably have a sense of, of, of the direction I'd go, and I think you'd look at what's happened on defense and say, how can we incorporate that into the offense? Uh, but uh, that's just me. Uh, we had another offensive line question, basically. Ben Ficht, um, he's kind of, I guess he's kind of uh, saying it's more of the offensive line than, than the scheme and the play calling. But he said, I noticed Dan pressing both Kiffin and Kessler regarding the play calling, setting aside Boston College, the blocking breaks down on obvious passing downs, and when dared by a defense to run, USC's blocking isn't sufficient to get the job done either. What kind of plays, passing and running, respectively, does Dan have in mind to overcome that? That's from Ben Fick. He's a little bitter, I think. Well, I think the idea is not so much, okay, this specific play or that specific play. It's a whole range of, of, of plays on offense that you can run uh, competently and capably and execute well. It's instead of having a hundred and thirty plays on your play sheet, maybe you have thirty. But you can really run them. I know Coach Summers talks a lot about muscle memory and figuring out how to get <clears throat> what they need to do on every play into their muscle memory. This looks to me like a team that does not have muscle memory. That they don't look. I look at Alabama. I look at Stanford. I look at their offensive lines, I see muscle memory. I see guys who are really comfortable knowing what they're going to do and really confident in knowing what they're going to do. 
I don't see that with USC. I see hesitation. I see, uh, you know, just in general, kind of a sense of uh, what do we do here? What exactly? I don't see people attacking people. Uh, I see too many times where uh, there are defenders, you know, in the, uh, you know, in, at the point of attack. Uh, you know, are they, you know, do they need to use the fullback better? Uh, they need to get more out of that. You know, do they, you know, when you look at the the one great run they had, they had Red Ellison, you know, 6'5", 250-pound, and unbelievably strong and smart and tough and hard worker. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of an ace-back, and they, they got him to the point of attack. And, uh, you know, they're trying to do everything they can. I mean, uh, Xavier Grimble, you know, catches a touchdown pass, caught another audible uh, where they, you know, changed the play at the line of scrimmage. But he said <clears throat> uh, if you looked at his whole game, you could count the number of times he got – you know, he got a chance to run a pass pattern on one hand or less. So he's in there blocking. Uh, and they're trying to do everything, and, and they just don't look very comfortable doing it. So I don't think it's so much well, what play would you call. or what. No, I would call the plays that you really know how to run and the plays that you're really comfortable with. And I would have it basic enough so that if a team changes and, and kind of surprises you, as Utah State did in the second half by bringing eight in the box, uh, you're able to, to handle that. You're comfortable with that. That doesn't throw you off. That means you really have to be more basic than this team seems to be. This is not an NFL team. Uh, a lot of these guys, you know, as much as, you know, everybody thinks they're going to go, you know, right from here to the NFL, I don't think that's been determined yet. So I think they need to become a college offense. And, uh, not just an up-tempo offense necessarily. They may have to concede some things. I mean, maybe they have to go shotgun, you know, all the way. And maybe they have to, you know, some, some of those teams that are having a lot of success with shotgun and, you know, four wides and all that, aren't, you know, they don't, that's, they're making up for not having a lot of talent on the, you know, in their offensive front. Um, USC might have to do that. Maybe they don't put the quarterback under the center all the time. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know how you, for example, you say, well, we're going to run the ball, we're going to run the ball, we're going to be run heavy. If you break down and you've got a lot of, you know, third and longs because you've broken down on one of your running plays, um, you end up with a situation like USC had, you know, Saturday where they're 3 of 14, or you end up with a team like USC is right now, they're 113th in the nation in uh, third down conversions. That's just horrific. I mean, that's just beyond the pale. I mean, that's just so unacceptable. Uh, and uh, they have to figure out a better way to do this. And, and I, it would seem to me that the fewer breakdowns you have on the offensive line, whether you're running or, or throwing the ball, and if you have to get more basic, if you have to get more, we're just going to do one thing, but we're going to do one thing really well, uh, then that's what you do. But I don't see the, the commitment to figure it out. Last year they didn't. Last year they kept on doing what they were doing. And the more defenses figured them out, you know, by the end of the year, they couldn't do much of anything. And um, they didn't change. Other than they just, you know, they kept trying to be the same team only with plays that, you know, they, that they didn't, you know, really believe in. And uh, that doesn't work. Um, on this, along that same line, Dan, Michael wrote, and he had a bunch of different observations. I, I think some of them were what we've already discussed. But one he talked about that I don't think we've even talked about is 
Uh, he says plays are taking too long to develop. Other teams to have seem to have quick hitters, and we don't. Um, do you do you agree with that? Do you think that there's a lot of slower developing plays in this offense? Yeah, you know, I think I think USC. It looks to me like the quick hitters work better. I mean, they they actually did one time. They did that. You know, not only quick hitters. Well, once they get to the line of scrimmage, but that quick out of the huddle and run to play. Uh, uh, you know, they just seem to perform better. When they do that, but I, I was thinking I was looking at the numbers and uh, and Oregon is the has the uh, lowest po- uh, time of possession of any team in the country. They only uh, uh, their time of possession is 22 minutes a game, uh, as opposed to opponents 38. And yet in those 22 minutes, they get 72 plays off. Uh, USC is getting 66 plays off in 33 minutes a game. So USC basically gets off two plays a minute. Oregon gets off like three and a half, three and a third or whatever a minute. So there is a, you know, kind of a difference in tempo. But I also think, uh, you know, then when you, you know, they walk to the line of scrimmage, you know, they're, they're getting, you know, a play every, you know, every half minute. But then you'd like to see the quick stuff. And I don't see, you know, as much quick stuff. It looks like Trey Mann is, is better on quick stuff. I thought they missed a big opportunity. Uh, as, as, as great as Justin Davis's instincts are for a 17-year-old freshman, it wasn't there. They weren't creating uh, all that much in the way it seems. But they do have a really, really, you know, a, a running back who's got a lot of speed, and that's in a Buck Allen. And it would have been nice to see him get up there and give him, you know, a chance to hit hit some quick, uh, either you know, toss sweep or or whatever, uh, just to see if, uh, you know, that speed against Utah State, you know, would have helped them. But uh, uh, I think those are the kinds of things you'd like to have them see, you know, have them so that they do regularly and they do them, you know, easily, confidently, uh, rather than, you know, the panic team that we obviously saw in the second half uh, Saturday. That was that was a team in panic on offense. And then – you know, opposite-wise, the defense was like, uh, you know, let's go back out and get the ball for the offense one more time. Okay, they screwed up that time, but we'll get it for them again. You know, we'll get it for them again this time. You know, it was just the difference in attitude and in confidence and comfort level with what they're doing is just amazing. I'm, I'm not sure I've ever seen a team that had, you know, they're in the same uniforms, they practice together every day, and yet they couldn't be more different. And uh, the offense has got to get to that point. And, uh, you know, we don't see any, you know, it almost looks like it's going the other way. Um, here's uh, Steve in Dallas. He says, our ability to catch passes uh, appears to be uh, going down over the past two-plus years. Any chance you could focus blame on this for the practice, pra- excuse me, practice techniques of T. Martin, who is the wide receivers coach? See, I don't know if I'd, I'd – I would say practice, yes. I thought it was really reveal, uh, revealing after the game that, um, uh, you know, so now they're up, they're going against press coverage second half. And, uh, and Marquise admitted that he and Cody really were kind of rusty throwing against press coverage and that they really needed to get on the same page and that Cody needed to know exactly where Marquise expects the ball and Marquise needed to know exactly where Cody was going to deliver the ball against that kind of press coverage. And you think, what the hell have they been doing in practice? 
if uh, now this is one of the you know the the bad you know uh, effects of you know waiting four weeks longer to name a starter uh, than they should have. I mean, that really hurt those last two weeks in August, the first two weeks of the season, that's four weeks blown when you could have had Cody out there, uh, and you could have had Cody getting on the same page with Marquise. I mean, after the fourth game of the season, they're talking about getting your Boletnikoff award winner on the same page as your quarterback in terms of, uh, where he wants the ball and how you, he wants it delivered and all that. That's just, you know, and I wouldn't necessarily blame T. Martin because he's not involved with the quarterbacks. Uh, that's just general overall, you know, uh, game planning, overall, uh, you know, practice, uh, you know, policies, and uh, you know, just that shouldn't be happening now. And uh, uh, it's it's a little late, you know, for that to figure out. I mean, you know, did they think nobody was going to play a man, and, <clears throat> and so they didn't have to work on that? I don't know, but uh, but. You know, but let's face it, though, if you're T. Martin, if you're any of the offensive coaches, so far this year, you know, is not something you want on your resume. I mean, you know, what? This is not. This is not good. I, I would. I'd be kind of interesting if you could ever sit in on an offensive uh, staff, uh, you know, game planning and, and practice planning meeting to see what you know what they're talking about because, uh, uh, you know. They're not getting it done. It's, it's pretty much that simple. At least there's uh you can spread the blame around a little bit. There's seven offensive coaches, so you can't. Yeah, uh... you got a bunch of them. Yeah, maybe <laughs> it's too many. Uh, you know, maybe it's better to have just three. Uh, I think a case could be made that uh, that that might be, you know, actually uh, the case uh, is that uh, you might be better off with uh, without all seven of the, you know, seven of the offensive guys. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Uh, here's one more. It's where it'll be the last offensive question, Dan. It's a, another voicemail question. So, sorry again. Here you go. Hey, guys. Chris from San Pedro. I have a couple questions for you. Uh, does uh, the offensive uh, plays, are they scripted to start the game? I wonder if you know if they're scripted uh, in a fashion like many other uh, teams. Second question is, is, do you have any explanation for why we're constantly up against the play clock? especially after change of possession. It seems like uh, Kessler's getting down there, and he's got like seven or eight seconds before it, uh, the clock expires, uh, and he's just getting to the line of scrimmage. I just don't see why we're wasting timeouts for that, and if anybody's asked the coach. And the last thing is just an observation. It seems like our receivers, as good as they supposedly are, it seems like they don't fight to get open uh, as much as I'd like uh, to see. And that's been the case for a couple of years. I know we've had some really great numbers out of some of our receivers, but it just seems like they're not they're not as open as they should be. And I wonder if that's because of the routes they're running or how they're being taught or if you have any comments. Thanks a lot. Three and one. Could be worse. See ya. Yeah, it better not be, though, I'll tell you. you know, And, and I know uh, three and one, you know, we were talking about, doesn't exactly mean anything. They've been three and one now. This is three straight years. And three and one turned into ten and two one year, and it turned into seven and six the other year. So that's a very uh, good point, Dan. <laughs> not, yeah, I'm not sure where where three and one takes you at all. Although that's been a big talking point. There are a lot of talking points uh, uh, around right now. Um, uh, as far as the wide receivers, I do think there's a confidence uh, gap in terms of a is this a good pass? Is this a pass pattern that's going to get me open? Because they're creating very little separation. B, 
will they throw it to me even if I do get open? And, and that really matters, I think. Uh, so uh, do the pass, uh, do the uh, wide receivers, you know, look like they're running with great deal of enthusiasm as if, uh, no, they don't. I mean, it's, something's wrong. There's no question about that. Uh, as far as taking all that time, one of the things, uh, there's no question, USC has a fairly complex play-calling uh, terminology, jargon, whatever. There are a lot of words, and you got to get them all right. And there are numbers and words, and uh, honest to God, if you look at the Velcro uh, uh, you know, uh, play-calling uh, sheet that the quarterbacks have, it's like the uh, – and they're pages and pages, and that's why they Velcro it so you can flip to the right page. Uh, it looks like the yellow pages uh, or the white pages, <laughs> the print and the, you know, the white pages. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed that those kids can read those, uh, read those uh, plays. Uh, it, there's a lot of stuff there. Um, so, but, but by the time you get – you know, Lane finds it on the, his play sheet, and by the time he gets that signaled in – by the time the quarterback, you know, locates it, I mean, they tell, you know, we, you know, understand that one of the real problems in the Sun Bowl was that, you know, Wittick was having trouble finding those, uh, you know, those calls. And, uh, and if you get one word wrong, one, one number wrong, you really got them in a, you know, formation that doesn't work with, uh, with the play. Uh, so anyway, um, third thing, I guess, uh, Lane does script them. Uh, and actually, so far, you know, they haven't been terrible coming out of the box to start the game. Problem is, teams adjust. Uh, but, um, and, you know, I think the, the early scripting seems to be, um, you know, at least by the time they get to the second quarter. Now, whether they're still scripting in the second quarter, but that's obvious the ones that they uh, they feel most comfortable with. But, uh, but uh, yeah, they do. Script. They'd start off pretty good. Maybe they should script coming out of halftime. That might help. <laughs> Just... Well, the problem is they have no idea what the other team's going to do, <laughs> and uh, I don't think they had any uh, any thought that uh, Utah State was going to bring eight up in the box and just say we're not going to let you run the ball. I, I just think that that wasn't in their thinking at all, and totally threw them off. Uh, okay, we got one last voicemail question for you, Dan. I know we got through a lot of them. Thanks very much for uh, being patient with all these, and uh, here's the last one. My name's Nico. I'm a USC alumni, um, and this message is for Ryan. It's been bugging me a lot this season. I'm a huge uniform guy. I love the black shoes. I love the white laces. I love the white socks. But is the decal on the helmet slightly bigger this year than the previous years. It's really bugging me. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Bye. You're talking about the Trojan decal. I, yeah. The one decal that is bigger, I guess, is the 125th anniversary decal on the back, which I, I kind of like. Uh, I think that's a, that's a pretty good look. That's a good question. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know you're not – Nico's not the first guy to ask that question. There are other people who, who seem to think it might be a little bit bigger. I don't know. I, I'll ask, uh, uh, you know, the equi- our equipment manager. Uh, uh, I don't know. That's a. I know. If I anyone knew, it would be you, Dan. I usually <laughs> notice that stuff, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. I, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I like that. I think it looks, you know, it looks fine. 
the you know where it is now in terms of you know proportion uh, to the helmet, but uh, I'm not sure. That's a good question. I'll I'll find out. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I, I knew you were the guy for for that one. So I'm so, I sorry, Nico. I do pay attention to that. I do yeah. pay attention to that stuff, but that's one <laughs> I hadn't hadn't uh, hadn't exactly picked up on. So I was so happy about the shoes and getting rid of the shoes and getting rid of the socks and going back to the you know the classic look that uh, that I, I probably haven't paid as much attention to the helmets. Uh, all right, Dan. But that was all the questions. Before we let you go, and uh, we've we've certainly and I mentioned this earlier in the show. People talk about. You guys are too negative, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we didn't have a whole lot of questions last week when the, the team played well against Boston College. <laughs> yeah. When they don't play well, we're getting a ton of questions. So we're trying to play all the questions, and, and of course, a lot of them are negative. Looking forward to, to Arizona State. I mean, is there – give the Trojan fans something positive to hold on to, that there's hope here, that, you know, seven-point well, underdog, I mean, but here's still the, a chance. Here's the problem. I wrote my positive column last Saturday. <laughs> I said, you know – I think Lane's got it now. He's figured it out. This offense is going to come out smoking. They're going to, you know, he's turning them loose. They, you know, and we were hearing reports from practice that, you know, they're throwing the ball and they got plays for people that we think maybe need to, you know, get the ball in their hands more often and all of that. Well, none of that turned out to be true. You know, I mean, I felt like, you know, okay, I think I understand or hope to understand that, you know, that was a game, I thought, for the uh, offense to really, you know, find itself. And it looked like they took a step backwards. And I, I can't quite explain it, uh, you know, what happened in practice and what happened in the game planning and all that. But, no, I was as optimistic as as could be because, you know, and I think a lot of the players who talk to guys, you know, a lot of the defensive guys keep looking back to 2011, and they re- remember when, after struggling like crazy, you know, against Minnesota and, you know, teams that just you shouldn't have been struggling against, um, all of a sudden, you know, going to Notre Dame, and they figure it out. You know, I mean, they had, you know, gotten beat by Arizona State, you know, squeaked one out against Arizona, and then – it looked like the you know the light bulb went on and uh, you know they figured out what exactly they had to do on offense and I, I kept thinking last week was the week that they figured it out you know that they got more basic and simpler and yet more difficult to defend and that they did things that they were comfortable and confident in comfortable with confident in and uh, and executed in a way that you know really if you if you run the football well enough. Uh, you can throw the play out. You can throw play action. Uh, didn't happen. Uh, could it happen this week? Sure, sure. But you know, we're constantly trying to guess. You know, what what will Lane do? I mean, it basically comes down to that. And I know people say, "Oh, you're fixated on Lane," or you know, you're you're so you know focused on Lane. That's the problem, because basically, you can you know, if you're a USC person, you can you know, look at any team on the schedule and basically say, well, this team plays this way, or this is the personality of that team, or that's the, you know, how these guys are going to attack us, or that, blah, blah, blah. But you look at USC, what do you say? What what are they offensively? I mean, we know you know exactly what they are defensively now. They're doing exactly what Clancy, Clancy Pendergast said. We're going to play on their side of the line of scrimmage. That's who we're going to be. We're going to be multiple, and yet we're going to be you know, able to, you know, it's the kind of thing we're going to be, it's going to be complex for you to play against us, 
but it's not going to be difficult for us to install it. You know, our kids are going to be able to make the adjustments on the fly, and we're going to trust them, and they're going to communicate. And that's exactly what's happened. And to think that that's happened in less than a year, uh, you know, whereas this is the fourth year for this offense, and for them not to be able to make, you know, uh, adjustments on the fly, for them not to be able to run the most basic stuff, um, for them not to look like they're confident and comfortable in what they're doing, uh, you know, you just keep thinking it's going to happen. You can't keep doing it like this. You know, you can't. you got to, you know, see the light. I don't know, you know, uh, <laughs> whether they will or not. If they do, this could be a pretty good team. I mean, there may be some limitations in some ways, but, but I don't know that the offense is any more limited than, say, the defense was coming into this season. Uh, now everybody says, oh, the defense, they got all the athletes on the defense. That's where all the athletes are, except for, you know, like Marquise Lee and Nelson Aguilar and Xavier Grimble and Randall Telfer and Trey Madden and, you know, they got all the, uh, <laughs> you know, athletes on the defense. No, they got some athletes on the offense, too, actually, to be honest with you. Uh, they just got to, you know, figure out how to let them play like they're athletes and play, uh, you know, the way, I mean, you know, I'm going to beat this thing, to, you know, over the head, you know, so I can't beat it anymore. But they've got the model with the defense. Right. They've got the model, <laughs> you know, right there on their practice field with them every single day. And uh, they got to coach them. You know, I think – you know, what Clancy's doing is, is perfectly uh, suited to their talents and their, uh, you know, the way they wanted to play and the kinds of kids you play, you know, you recruit at USC. And it was a very teachable thing. And they, you know, taught it with three guys. And they got them, you know, they got them up to speed quickly. And they did exactly what they said they were going to do. Uh, I'm not sure what the offense is even saying it's going to do. I, I'm not sure in their own minds. They know who they are. Who, who, how does USC win games with this offense? What, what do they do? You know, what are they supposed to do? You know, are they supposed to be Alabama or, or Stanford? Or, um, you know, what is, what's the essence of this team on offense, and, and how do they win football games with this offense? I don't think they know. And I don't think you can do, you know, do the offense very well unless you do know. And uh, I think that's the challenge every week for Lane. And, uh, you know, I may not, you know, walk out on that, uh, you know, on that, uh, uh, on that plank anymore and, and pre- you know, <laughs> predict anything. Uh, we'll see what we see when we see it. Uh, but uh, it sure looks like, for example, Cody Kessler has been slowed down. This is not the Cody Kessler we saw in spring, not the Cody Kessler we saw in August. He looks like uh, he's, uh, you know, He's not reacting in the same ways, and uh, that's inexplicable to me. Uh, but uh, things are happening that aren't freeing him to be a playmaker. And and this is a kid that can be a playmaker. He can, you know, he can do a lot of things. Um, somehow they've got to get him to the place where he he gets a chance to do those things uh, and not have to go through another second half like um, like Saturday. All right, Dan. Great stuff. Lots of uh, questions we got in there, so I appreciate all of that, and thanks for your patience, and we'll talk to you again uh, real soon. We'll see you out there in practice this week. Okay, and stay positive, everybody. Yeah, all right. Thanks, Dan. Everyone else, thank you very much.
for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Back again next week with another show following the USC-Arizona State game. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.